0: Hi, Anna here. Welcome to episode six of season five of the Anna Asks podcast. This chat is a conversation between myself and Steph O'Brien. We recorded this one earlier in the year, I think around June, and I've been sitting on it for a while. And once I've gone through to edit it, I'm really not sure why, because I think there's some really rich conversation, big topics covered, and lots that can be gleaned from this episode regardless of how your pregnancy journey your births and postpartum have been so we do touch on some sensitive topics i'd like to warn you that there is mention of both birth trauma and potential termination of a wanted pregnancy we also discuss pregnancy related illness hyperemesis gravidarum at length during this episode and i've included some links to support services in the show notes here should you need them now as Steph has had her baby already she's actually been recording weekly check-ins or postpartum diaries on her own podcast so if you're interested after listening to our conversation as to how things have actually played out for her you can listen along on the postpartum stories with Steph podcast all right enjoy our chat
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Anna Asks podcast. Now, as you know, as part of season five, I'm speaking with a whole lot of people involved in pregnancy, postpartum, birth and motherhood spaces that are preparing for their own babies. So today I'm speaking with Steph O'Brien. Hi, Steph.
2: Hi, Anna. How are you?
1: (laughs) I'm well, thank you. I'll get you to introduce yourself in a moment, but before I do that, I just want to acknowledge The traditional owners of the land on which we live and work and where this podcast is being recorded today. So I'm on beautiful Awabakal country and where are you Steph?
2: I am on Wadarung country um, in Victoria.
1: Beautiful. So Steph is around Geelong and I am up at Lake Macquarie, New South Wales. And as with many things, we've sort of met through different, I suppose, training avenues and through the online world. And it's lovely to have a a real conversation with a real person. So Steph, welcome. And can you introduce yourself, please, who who you are and perhaps who's in your family and why you have the drive or desire to do the work that you now do with
2: families? Yeah, sure. So my name is Steph, um, as Anna mentioned. I am, I never know where to go. Do I talk about work first or kids first? <laughs> um, so I am a mum of one little boy who's about to turn four. And I also have another little boy on the way who will be here in August sometime. I'm very good at creating Leo babies. I am a postpartum doula and I currently live and work in Geelong. have a lovely husband whose name is Clay and um now i've gone blank <laughs> that's all right what
1: what was it that drew you towards becoming a doula what experiences led to that
2: decision the path that led me to doula work was really informed by my own postpartum and birth experience so without going into too much detail i did have a very traumatic birth experience with my son which kind of then lent itself to my postpartum experience. And I just got to a point in postpartum, probably, I don't know, two months in, where I was like, this is the, the level of support we get as new mothers is absolute bullshit. And that was sort of a turning point for me where I realized, you know, how many women are doing this alone and overwhelmed and miserable. That's what kicked things off in terms of me becoming a doula. Now, it took a long time from having that realisation to then actually learning that a postpartum doula exists and what that means. So it was probably a good 18 months down the track after my son was born that I um, started looking into this work, yeah.
1: Mm. And in that time, did you start to address the lack of support that you were experiencing in your own postpartum or was that really difficult to try and do given the complete dearth of structural frameworks to be able to access what we really what
2: we really all need look I probably wasn't able to call in support that in that first experience of postpartum it was more just the realization of what women are going through what mothers are going through and I definitely had had a lot of work to do on myself around you know mum guilt and prioritizing my needs and that sort of stuff and that was you know that took me a good 12 months or longer to kind of figure that side of it out so no I wasn't able to kind of figure out what it was I needed in terms of support until a lot a lot further down the track till I probably didn't need it which is kind of why in this pregnancy, and this postpartum, um, I have very, very different plans around what support is going to look like for me.
1: Yeah. And that's really what I've asked you to come onto the podcast to talk about how things have played out differently so far and what the remainder of your pregnancy, birth and postpartum planning looks like as distinct from that first experience, which
2: by all reports was pretty rotten. Mm. Yes, pretty rotten. That's a great um, great summary of it all. It took me a long time to even want to be pregnant again, and I wasn't sure if I would ever be pregnant again because my first pregnancy I was sick, vomiting every day for 16 weeks and then every other day till 20 weeks, and then I was sort of okay. So mentally I was preparing myself for that kind of level of sickness again. Um, in his second pregnancy. So, look, the supports I called in for pregnancy were things like just having more information around um, morning morning sickness, and I say that in inverted commas, and sort of understanding like what might work this time around that I didn't try last time, like, you know, getting better quality prenatal vitamins and having um, an acupuncture session for morning sickness and all that sort of stuff. However, this time around... <laughs> from five weeks pregnant, I was hit a hundred times harder with um, hyperemesis, gravidarum. So basically what that means is constant nausea and vomiting. It wasn't like my first pregnancy where I could just be sick and then get on with my day. It was sick all day, nauseous all day, can't eat. You know, it was horrible. And so that threw me for six again. (laughs) And it's like... I, again, I don't know what support I can get really. Um, I tried the acupuncture. I tried absolutely everything you could think of, you know, lots of um, suggestions from people to eat ginger and all that sort of stuff. And with HG, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. do anything. It's <laughs>
1: not relevant. It's not going to take an edge off that at all. It's a serious medical condition. If you haven't heard of it before, it affects around three to 4% of pregnancies. And, mm it's really serious in terms of both physical very very common for women to lose and pregnant people to lose a lot of body weight become severely dehydrated be hospitalized multiple times um, massive mental health ramifications too so
2: Mm. and that was i
1: I don't envy you (laughs) staff
2: i wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy honestly and the mental battle of it in, in, in many ways, is more difficult than the actual physical, you know, the physical presentations of vomiting and nausea. My anxiety peaked and I didn't know where I could really go for support. And, you know, I rang the Panda hotline one morning because I was just feeling so just over it and, like, wanting to know what I can do. And I think I was hoping for someone on the other end of the phone to sort of have a magic wand they could wave The lady was lovely and we had a really good chat, but it really is just, you know, you just have to wait it out, unfortunately. Obviously, there are other things though, you know, if you've got a good GP that understands HG, you can try different medications to kind of get things under control. And um, that worked a little bit for me, but yeah, it's, you know, it's very hit and miss and HG just has a mind of its own, really. So, in saying that, this pregnancy, Hasn't been <laughs> the bed of roses that I imagined. The HG has definitely settled down, which is good. And I can sort of start to feel a bit normal again. But, yeah, it's it's been really tough.
1: Yeah. Now, for some people, HG does settle down at a certain time and for others they are vomiting right through until, you know, a couple of days after the baby is born. If this is something that you feel is like putting a label to the type of so-called morning sickness and nausea that you're experiencing do encourage you to go and have a look at hyperemesis australia and yeah tie in with their their resources and and support there because as much as it feels like you're alone you're really not
2: but yeah the hyperemesis australia group is fantastic and I don't know if they were around four years ago, but when I had when I was pregnant with my son, but they their resources are amazing. And you know, it's run by people who have had the same experience as, you know, what I'm having and what others have. So I did find that really useful. And they've got a really good supportive um, Facebook group and I think volunteer so peer support people as well. Yeah, wonderful.
1: Is it something that the symptoms have settled down for you or are you still feeling horrendous while we're having this conversation at (laughs) seven months pregnant?
2: I'm not feeling horrendous, but every day I just don't know what I'm in for. You know, I, I threw up three days ago and I could throw up later today. I don't know. Like it's just it's definitely not as consistent as what it was in sort of the first probably 16 weeks where it was every single day nauseous, Vomiting. I don't get as nauseous anymore, but I do. As soon as I get out of bed, I have to eat something. But then, whether or not it sticks is another question. Um, But I do find now, if I am going to vomit, then I usually I can just do that, and then I can get on with my day. Like it's not like it wipes me out completely for the rest of the day anymore. But I did not expect to be still throwing up, you know, at 33 weeks pregnant.
1: (laughs) No, not at all, and even as you say, this, this vomiting that lasts for so long, something that you never, ever think is going to happen from pregnancy is that after an HD pregnancy, you really have to go and like seriously get your teeth checked. It's the same mm-hmm. as if, as if somebody has been experiencing bulimia or vomiting a lot from another cause and that stomach acid coming back up. I don't know if, that's the, if that is the primary reason for, tooth issues but this is a whole like it's a whole body a whole mind systemic condition it's not yeah. just like it's not the picture of beautiful glowing pregnancy at all
2: no absolutely not and there's you know other ramifications as well that people don't understand like you know like you said if you're throwing up every day that can cause issues for your teeth but you know for me like because this is my second pregnancy you know there's a lot of pressure on my pelvic floor when I, not every time, but most of the time when I throw up now, I'm peeing myself and it's like, okay, great. Now I've got that to deal with. And also the medication that you take for um, vomiting and nausea constipates you. And so like, there's just all these things going on that you're dealing with and trying to manage. It's definitely not that textbook glowing pregnancy. I don't know what
1: that is really. (laughs) No, not something that's been on your experience or your radar at all. I know another factor to consider having had an HG pregnancy is the size of your family. I know a lot of people who have decided that after an HG first that one and done is the way for them because they feel that they honestly could not survive another pregnancy that is like that. Mm. Is that something that's weighing on your mind yet? being your second child? Or is this something that's, that really you're still just waiting it out to the finish line before you can even think about
2: things like that? No, um, I will never be pregnant again. <laughs> I know that 100% this will be my last baby. Um, and that it, it, that's for a range of reasons, but the overwhelming reason is because of the HG. Like I, I cannot do this again. And, and what I'm thinking of is the first trimester, just the, the mental side of things, like the mental challenges. I don't want to experience that again. And, you know, there was times very early on in this pregnancy and this was, you know, a, a very consciously conceived pregnancy, but there were times around that six, seven-week mark where I just thought to myself, I'm going to get an abortion because I, I can't. Deal with this. That's how difficult I found it all. I felt so much guilt around that because it was a planned pregnancy. I would never judge anyone for making that decision in this situation or making that decision ever. But it does happen. And I know a lot of people who want to have more children, who have experienced HG, who are terrified, or who won't, you know, who won't get to have more children, and that is really upsetting for them. For me, I'm happy like because I'll have obviously have my son and I'll have another son and I feel like we're quite complete. There's a little bit of sadness there around, well, maybe we could have had a third, but I can't open myself up to that experience again. And statistically, HG gets worse for each pregnancy. So that's where I'm at with it.
1: Yeah, I've actually been reading in the last few days about I think it's over half, perhaps fifty-two percent of people with HG do con- seriously consider terminating the pregnancy, even when it's very mm. wanted, and it's about an eighty percent chance of HG recurring in a subsequent mm. pregnancy. So, they're major like it is a big, a big consideration, and for you at this point it's now getting closer to the pointy end where you're thinking about plans for birth and thinking about entering postpartum. And as someone who works in postpartum care, you'd be acutely aware of how important recovery is and attempting to not get to those stages or start that postpartum period from a point of depletion. And Mm -hmm. after an HG pregnancy, like it's kind of inevitable that that's the start point.
2: Yeah. And it's really hard to get into the headspace of birth and postpartum when you are dealing with HG, because, you know, I, I was, I would get really upset, you know, pretty much up until 30 weeks. Like I would have conversations with my husband about how I just didn't feel connected to this baby at all. And, Mm. you know, that made me feel like I was failing in some way. And, To anyone else who had had a similar experience to me, I would say, of course, you don't feel connected, like taking each day as it comes dealing with whatever's thrown at you. And it's like, that's a completely normal reaction. But I was a lot more harsh with myself since sort of that 30 week mark. I don't really know what happened. I don't know if it's some happy hormones or something that's kicked in or he's moving a lot more and I'm sort of feeling kicks and things like that where I'm actually now starting to get excited to meet him but for a long time I wasn't and that was just such a horrible feeling.
1: Perhaps also just getting closer to knowing that there's a finish line that it's not a distance away that feels like an eternity.
2: I you know I'm very grateful to be pregnant and to be able to have children but I don't love being pregnant. (laughs) No it's not something that's working for your body. (laughs) And I'm not not I'm very much looking forward to not being pregnant. So, yeah, I think maybe that finish line thing is um, playing a, playing a part as well.
1: <laughs> and even as you're speaking, I'm thinking, you know, I'm a few months behind you as we record this podcast. But I'm thinking about how the strain of having a non HG pregnancy while parenting an older child, and the immense not only physical difficulty, but inner wrestle between yourself, the needs of this baby that's inside that really you feel no connection to yet, the needs of the child that you've just dedicated yourself to, to the last three or four years, it would be a complete, complete mind warp.
2: Mm. And I honestly, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because when I first got pregnant, which would have been Mid December last year, we were still in in. We were, I was living in Melbourne, and we were still in levels of lockdown and working from home. And so my husband was home, and so he was really able to just do everything with my son. Like I was, I couldn't get out of bed. I had to take a lot of time off work. You know, having him supporting both of us was. I I don't think I could have looked after my son without <laughs> help. Like. It's just
1: impossible. So I think with HG, it's almost impossible to look after yourself, let alone mm-hmm. to look after anyone else.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And then there's, you know, feelings of guilt around that. But I was sort of able to shape it in a way that I just thought my son and my husband, they have a beautiful bond, but they can keep working on it because they're going to need each other in nine months time. True. <laughs> and I'm doing other things. So. This is good practice for them. (laughs) Yeah, just we just needed all the support we could get, so.
0: Oh,
1: what a journey so far. Really (laughs) honouring you in your experience and I so appreciate the vulnerability of, of sharing what you have done. I know that's going to really hit home for some people and make them feel very much less alone. I hope so. As you do come closer to that, finish line what do your plans start to look like for birth and postpartum and, and how might that be different or similar to your first experience
2: so with the birth of my my son four years ago um I won't go into too much detail because we'll be here for hours but in a nutshell I my waters broke prematurely at home um, on a Thursday and then I was admitted into hospital that afternoon and because the hospital was so busy and I wasn't sort of advanced in my contractions, they were very sporadic, I waited until Saturday to be induced. And then Saturday night, I think it was probably around 12, 11pm coming up to midnight, I was 10 centimetres dilated, started pushing, pushed for two hours. He wasn't moving, ended up with an emergency caesarean at three o'clock Sunday morning. So it was a very long, long process, Thursday to Sunday, and lots of other things going on in between. So this time around, I, you know, I've had a lot of time to think about my birth and process it and learn from it and listen to other people's stories and wisdom, but I've made the very informed decision that I'm going to be having an elective cesarean, which is something that I thought might be judged, I guess, in the doula world. I had this sort of, I think it was my own internal judgment coming out, but I don't know. I, sometimes when I think of doulas who birth, you know, it's usually a beautiful home birth um, with no intervention and all that sort of stuff. And I'm on the other end of that spectrum of choosing to have a cesarean, but I'm very happy with that decision. And yeah, I'm feeling pretty powerful about it to be honest (laughs) and just knowing that it's going to you know I don't know exactly what's going to happen because you can never completely plan for these things but knowing that it will be very different to my first experience
0: yeah oh
1: the judgment thing (laughs) mothers are going to get judged regardless of whatever choices they make true and we just have to make the one that's the best one for us and I love that you have really taken time to make your decision and considered a whole host of factors that are your own to know and and ours not to. And if that's gonna be the way that sets you onto the best the best runway for this postpartum, this bonding with this baby, then that's the way to go.
2: Yeah. And look, I've had a lot of, I've had years to kind of think about this and I love, I would love the idea of a VBAC, so a vaginal birth after cesarean, but, so I also exist in a plus size body and knowing that I would have to have a hospital birth because home birth is not an option for me. I just know there's, there's so many layers to the hospital system, especially when you exist in a fat body that would probably, it would be such a battle for me to have a VBAC. And if I ended up in the same situation as last time, I just don't think I'd cope. So this is sort of, you know, these are the things I've been thinking of for the last four years in making this decision. But, you know, I've spoken about it on my social media about choosing to have a caesarean. And I haven't had anyone, you know, be nasty or rude or, say anything mean like everyone's been really supportive which has been really lovely so yeah
1: yeah and this is something that gets me a bit as well I say mothers are going to be judged regardless blah 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 but often I don't actually know how much that judgment exists and how much
2: how much the judgment
1: itself is a is a beat up
2: Yeah. yeah or maybe people are just judging Without saying anything, <laughs> <laughs> maybe,
1: maybe, but you know that's their own internal dialogue to wrestle with, isn't it? Not yours. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, and we do have to consider all those systemic factors because we, we, as much as we may agree or disagree with them, we cannot always step outside of them. You know, we live in a society, inside a culture, and while things may or may not be evidence-based they're not going to be shifting in the next two months before your birth so Mm. yeah you have to you have to take all of these factors into making your decision that's going to make you feel the most comfortable and the most safe which kind of leads into our next bit which is the postpartum period the success of which relies on feelings of safety and nurture and feeling honoured and respected and cared for and loved. So that clearly was not the case in how you felt the first time around. Having now worked as a postpartum doula, what support are you calling in for that postpartum period for yourself?
2: All of the support. <laughs> um, it's funny when I... because So I've, I actually... Will be having my own postpartum doula which is really exciting and people have said to me oh but can't you just doula yourself <laughs> no i can't do myself when i have a newborn um so that's no, it's my- not
1: like physioing yourself where you're like yes. oh, i know the exercises i'll just do them this is like a whole extra person to hold you while you fall apart and yeah. do all of the things that you don't have the hands to do totally
2: different situation Yeah, so that's my first number one thing postpartum doula for me. So I'm really just thrilled to be able to have that support Um, and, you know, know that I've got someone that I can call on or message or vent to um, in those, you know, first few weeks and months. So um, she'll be doing, I think I've got five or six visits with her um after baby arrives so I'm just really looking forward to that and some other things that we're doing uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do a meal train and lots of food prep because last time you know we had some things in the freezer and our families dropped some things off which was really nice but I didn't prepare for how starving I would be breastfeeding <laughs> and so just having nutritious things on hand is one of my goals for this postpartum because I also didn't realize first time around how much you really do need to replenish your body from what it's been through for the last nine, 10 months and then labor and everything. And then also, I guess, recovering from a cesarean plays into it as well. Like you've got to be able to look after yourself through rest and through food and through all of those things. So Food's a big thing for me in this postpartum. I'm looking into postpartum massage because six months after my son was born, I um, had a bulged disc in my lower back, which was super uncomfortable and painful and horrible. So I just wanna make sure I'm on top of things like pelvic floor, core strength, and just looking after my bones. also going to be having my husband home for at least six weeks which I did have him home for six weeks last time but that wasn't planned because initially he was only going to be home for three or four weeks but because I had the cesarean I couldn't drive he ended up being able to take some carer's leave from his work so that is actually a thing you can take if you've got carer's leave through your work and your partner's had a cesarean then you can use some of that up if you want to so, he'll be taking at least six weeks off, which will be fantastic. <laughs> um, I know that some people, you know, that would drive them insane having their partners home for that long. But for me, it's just the best, the best help and the best feeling. So, he can kind of hang out with our son. And then also, I guess this time around, I have a four year old, which I didn't have last time. So, um, we're going to call in our parents to come and take him and entertain him for a bit just so we can have some time with this new baby and get to know them and bond and all of that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that sounds like a really comprehensive plan Mm. as well as, you know, we can talk about self-care till the cows come home, but there's only so much you can do in terms of self-care when you also have a baby. It really relies on the community care of the people around you and knowing that your partner will be home, knowing that you have that doula coming, that you have perhaps like pelvic floor physio massage, those things that are going to help reset you and on the base of the nutritional nourishment from from
2: the food that's part of your plan too. So, And these were all things I didn't even know of four years ago. Like no. obviously I knew I had to eat food, but you know, I didn't know what a women's health physio was or, yeah, just all these little things. And even with breastfeeding, I haven't got, I've got um, good friends on hand who are lactation consultants, so I know I can sort of call on people, like I've met them through the work I do. Um, so I've got people there to kind of call on as well. But, you know, first time round, I just thought I would breastfeed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll that just it do just it. Happen. It's on tap, you know, the most natural thing in the world.
2: Yeah, no. how hard can
1: it be? And that's the thing too. Like for me, I'm not, I'm not concerned about breastfeeding at all. But I also recognize that I've never breastfed this baby before.
0: That's right. That's like the, that's I don't the, know right.
1: what this baby's anatomy is going to be. I don't know what this baby's muscle tone is going to be. I don't know what this baby's preference is going to be. And. Mm or feeding patterns, or it might have a totally different temperament to my first and it's going to be very different things to learn across all respects, feeding only being one of those.
2: Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. It's like doing a dance where neither of you really know what dance you're doing, but, like, you have an idea of what dance you're supposed to do and they have no idea. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> obviously it's... It's, you know, it's going to take some time to come together. Yeah, I resonate with that because you don't know what baby, what your baby's going to be like, what their mouth is going to be shaped like, you know, all of these things. So, oh, that was another thing I was going to say just with having a caesarean. So I'm going to be antenatal, doing some antenatal expressing of colostrum from 37 weeks because sometimes after you have a caesarean, Your milk can take a little bit longer to come in. Mine didn't come in till day five last time, so just preparing for stuff like that as well. Yeah, and that colostrum is
1: excellent. It's like I had a lactation consultant explain it to me that it's kind of like the undercoat for the baby's digestive tract, and Mm. when it does take a little while, you know, milk might come in anytime between day three and day seven. Having a little bit extra available and frozen is is a very useful thing so if that's something that's new to you get yourself along to breastfeeding education but there is also some resources about that on the Australian Breastfeeding Association website too mm. and i found it really useful having that and i did not have a cesarean birth so <laughs> um, it's something that i would recommend even just having the skill of knowing how to hand express so that when you're really engorged you can just take a few little drops out of there and release the pressure a little bit is wonderful skills
2: yeah and look I didn't even know about hand expressing last time but it's sort of like an insurance policy you know like you don't you might not necessarily need to use it but I think having it there just sort of takes the pressure off you know last time I was kind of fear-mongered a little bit to do formula top-ups and all this sort of stuff and if I had have had a big stash of colostrum there I would have felt a lot more confident and we'd have sort of like a plan B but anyways this time we we, will have it (laughs) Mm. Steph just to finish up if anyone is listening
1: and wanting their experience to be different to the first time around or perhaps if it is their first just altogether better than the cultural norm do you have a little snippet of wisdom or nugget of advice that you like to give to your clients approaching this stage?
2: I would just say to really learn and educate yourself around what it is that you want. And, for example, if you're wanting to have a VBAC, talk to other mums that have had VBACs, learn about physiological birth and how hormones play a role in that. Go and seek out people who kind of work in this space. So it might be a private midwife or something like that. Same if it's, you know, if you really want to breastfeed, get in touch with a International Board Certified Lactation Consultant, learn how breastfeeding works and, you know, the things that will help promote it. Yeah, look, really, education. (laughs) Learn as much as you can from people that you trust.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this just yesterday. It's learn as much as you can and then when you feel you've collected the data that you need, shut out everything else and go inward instead because there's all the education that you can have, but then the intuition that we are separated from, because we're living in a world that that encourages us to disconnect from their feelings to instead follow rules. We need to get past that kind of bit and skip past the good girl rule follower so that we we can start working with our babies. If possible even before they're born which i know with hg is a very difficult thing to say
0: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah to start to tune in to each other because from the moment labor starts or your operation starts to give birth to that baby you're working as a team for mm, the next <laughs> until they're an adult so <laughs> for
2: the rest of your
1: life <laughs> forever forever more thank yeah. you so much steph where can we find you Obviously you will be on maternity leave by the time this episode comes out. But if we want to follow along with your journey or perhaps read back through some of the things that you have written about your pregnancy experience, where can we find you?
2: Uh, You can find me on Instagram. That's where I hang out a lot of the time. (laughs) My handle is at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph. I also have a podcast that's on all of the places you can listen to podcasts, postpartum stories with Steph. There's probably about 30 there that would be valuable to to some of your listeners, I think. So (laughs) go and have a look and yeah, come say hi on the gram.
1: Thank you for sharing your wonderful resource there, a treasure trove of episodes. Talking about a time that we don't really hear about often until it's too late. So my hope is that this is reaching the ears of a few people who are getting there ahead of time but we never know if you're coming to it later then that's fine too we can only start where we're at thank you so much for your time today Steph
2: thanks Anna
0: thanks so much for listening if you love this episode of Anna Asks it would be a great help if you pop across and leave us a five-star rating or review this helps other parents and people to find us and join in the conversation you can also become a sponsor of this pod for $2.99 Australian a month via the link in the show notes or head to my website, www.annacusack.com.au to grab my free postpartum preparation e-guide. Check out my services or grab my book, Mama, You're Not Broken. Until next episode, bye from me. Unless, of course, you want to come chat via socials at Anacuzak Postpartum before then. See you soon.